This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Yesterday. Ooh, do you think uh, you're do you think you're gonna kiss her next week? Yeah, I know. I think we're I think we're gonna make it. Uh we went but in between we saw like a show and then we saw another show. And in between the shows we went to a sushi place and ate dinner, which was sushi. And it's one of those restaurants, and I don't know how many of these you've been to, that's like pretty cramped. And so the tables are all right next to each other and you're all getting seated next to each other. And you all basically pretend that you can't hear everything that the other people are saying. Yeah, so like being on a bus. Kind of, yeah. Like the the conversation is quote-unquote private. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, somebody will listen to something that you're saying and they'll dip in with their own little thing. So we sat next to this uh, this little old lady who told us that she never drank, except she was drinking a mint julep at the time, but she normally never drinks. <laughs> And one time she went into a bar and she ordered a screwball, which is what she thought a screwdriver was called. Okay. And then I told her about how I used to think Roman Cokes were called Roman Cokes. <laughs> and then the uh, the other lady who she was with, she was trying to get up and she was having trouble. And she said, oh, shiitake mushrooms. Stop. Which is like the momest Stop. mom swear. That I've ever heard. That's like the best. Does your mom do any mom swears? My mom calls them chicken chests because she does not want to say the word breast. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And you didn't answer my question. <laughs> well, I couldn't have. I couldn't possibly answer your question because my brain stopped when you said chicken, chicken chests. chests. Yeah, Susanna thinks it's a little. She, whenever I, I call them chicken chests too because my mom did like on people no no not no not on people only when they're chickens oh that makes a little bit more sense like boneless skinless chicken chests <laughs> in reference to the food like exclusively um, no my mom never had like substitute curses except she would like if she hurt herself in the kitchen or stubbed a toe, or a, a pet, like, did something unexpected, she would kind of just start scatting. <laughs> like, <laughs> the the two the two classic phrases are, ayabababa, and yiba. Yiba. And I have certainly internalized yiba almost as, like, an all-purpose, like, whoa. It's very close to, like, ah, Jesus. Yeah, it's ayyabababa, or like ye- ooh, yiba. Yiba. One and- time my dad stepped on something and said the F word, and it was like, he swears plenty, but the F word was mostly off limits, and I heard him do that, and then he came out like a few seconds later, and I was like, you didn't hear that, right? And I was like, no, of course not. <laughs> That's my favorite parenting trick. <laughs> you didn't hear that cuss I made, right? <laughs> I once got in trouble as a little kid at a bowling birthday party i thought i was gonna like hit i thought i was gonna hit the pins and i didn't hit the pins and uh this isn't gonna get us an explicit tag i think i said oh damn it Mm -hmm. and uh i i got in real trouble because all i wanted got you in trouble was your mom there was it a teacher Uh, my mom? mom was there and then i had to like sit on the stairs and like wait for my dad to come and tell me that i shouldn't say say that word i guess cool i was like whatever i i'm more upset that i missed the pins (laughs) (laughs) so this week we're going to talk about books again again like the 180th week in a row or whatever it is something like that yeah um and each week one of us has read a book uh for the show and the other person has not 
and then we will attempt to explain that book or some salient properties of that book to the other person. And you, the listener, will reap the rewards, the as rich, I'm sure... Rich, rich, rich rewards. I'm, as I'm sure you have already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew... What did I what did I read this week? <laughs> what? Uh my understanding is that you read some or all of the comic series Preacher by uh-huh. Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. I read the first two of nine volumes of Preacher. Okay. Uh each of which I believe are about seven. Like, like issues, issues. I wasn't sure what the. It's not seasons because it's not television, but um. And you can. So wait, how long does it take to read? Like, why didn't you read all of it? Well, I didn't know how long they would be. It took mm-hmm. me about as long as one of our sh- well, one of our short to middle books, um. And I had a line on these two books, so it was easy to get. Okay, um, but also I didn't. I don't know that I wanted to. I wasn't sure what the structure of this story was. That's also part of it. It's kind of wanting to go in uh, a little bit blind, which I think... Is it not like a Watchmen thing where it's all one big story? It is one big story, but it was not... Watchmen, I think... Did Watchmen come out in issues the same way? Yeah. I guess it did. Yeah, it did. Well, anyway... It's It's only later it was compiled into one big graphic novel, but... Um, so the tell two me of about these together this, this, are about the length of Watchmen. Tell me about this book that you read part of. Well, they are discrete <laughs> stories. We'll sure. talk about that. Sure, okay. Well, I guess maybe we should talk about the authors first, right? Sure, that's what like we, we do. normally do. Um, so Garth Ennis was the writer and Steve Dillon was the artist. Um, there's more stuff, I think, available in Ennis because he's uh, he's been pretty prolific over the years. He's worked with... Um, Steve Dillon on several things, including um, Preacher, Hellblazer, and The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, he also worked with John McCree or McCray on uh, Hitman and Ennis's debut, debut, and yeah, and The Demon, which was the thing that Hitman was like spun off of. Do you know what any of these are? Only very vaguely. Because these I, are all way too far off the comic beaten path for me. Yeah, because my research pointing me to the fact that this is a lot of this was done uh and preacher is published through vertigo which is what's called an imprint um, is that a dc imprint? it is is that it's right a, it's a dc imprint and the reason it was founded by karen berger in 93 and the reason that these imprints exist uh is so that you know comic publishers like dc can sort of subvert the comic code uh, which we without actually looking like they are doing that. <laughs> yeah, which we've talked. I think we talked about. I don't remember if it was either our Batman episode or our Watchmen episode. Um, but the comic code was founded in 1954 by the Comics Magazine Association of America. Uh, it it was a way to self regulate comic content so that the government wouldn't have to, which I think is kind of interesting. That now, like in what like remind me in what way they aimed to censor comic content. Well, so I've pulled up the 1954 code criteria, Andrew. Okay. And the top one, and this this is where it gets like related to Batman and stuff. It's like crime shall never be presented in such a way to cr- as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with with a desire to imitate criminals. And Listen, it goes, man, like, don't <laughs> talk to me about Batman. Not like he doesn't. He's a vigilante. Yeah, he but goes, I, his his methods are all extra legal. Like, don't talk to me about not breaking the law and then give me Batman. What are you talking about? But I don't think that they leaned into that until like Frank Miller and stuff. Until they like forgot that the code was a thing. Or did yeah. the code get lifted later? Well, so <laughs> the code technically still exists but no one uses it anymore okay so marvel left the comic code authority uh was one of the first in the early 2000s and then dc comics archie comics and bongo comics were still there uh bongo broke first and then dc and archie followed in 2011 so yeah, i think I mean, i'm so i'm so so glad that archie can be <laughs> Like as graphic and as crime filled as it really as it those as those characters really deserve to be, 
<laughs> so I bring that I bring this up because Do you remember when Jughead like oh knocked somebody out and stole his hamburger? <laughs> I do remember that episode where Betty and Veronica went on a killing spree. Mm-hmm. Those are and then name. they made out together. And then jumped off a cliff. And promoted homosexuality. And had sex while they were falling off the cliff. Yeah. It was pretty great. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite episode of Archie. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite Thelma and Louise and <laughs> Betty and Veronica crossover. <laughs> so I bring this up. I want to get back to the authors, but I bring this up because there are a couple things on the comic code list that I find particularly relevant to Preacher. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to read them as evidence of the things that you will definitely find in Preacher uh, should you either not want to hear about them in this episode or not want to discover them as you read Preacher. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. This is the code. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical <laughs> agony, gory and gruesome crime shall be eliminated. Illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed. Sex relations? Yeah. Rape scenes as well as sexual abnormalities are unacceptable. Seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. Sex perversion or any inference to same is strictly forbidden. So it's like it's left up to the... Who decides what abnormalities and like perversion is? Dude... Is it anything other than one man and one woman in missionary position? <laughs> like, I have to imagine. Okay. I don't know. And then, you know, there's stuff about drugs and all, all sorts of stuff that this particular comic is all about. Uh, especially some of the violence stuff, which I only sort of touched on. But anyway, uh, going back to Ennis and Dylan, what else did you know about Ennis? Um, Ennis, I know he's been, he I mean, he's been working in comics for a very long time, but he does not care for superhero stuff. Correct. Um, so he says, uh, this was in an interview. I don't know if he gave it to sci-fi now or if sci-fi now is just like reprinting it from some other interview that he did. Um, but he says, I find most superhero stories completely meaningless, which is not to say I don't think there's potential for the genre. Alan Moore and Warren Ellis have both done interesting work with the notion of what it might be like to be and think beyond human, see Miracle Man, Watchmen, and Super Gods. But so long as the industry is geared toward fulfilling audience demand, i.e. for the same brightly colored characters doing the same thing forever, you're never going to see any real growth. The stories can't end, so they'll never mean anything. Yeah. Uh, which I think is pretty relevant in the age of like the Marvel mega movie universe, right? Oh my god, the fr- oh my god, the phrase cinematic Ooh, yeah. cinematic universe that is just slowly creeping into all film production. Yeah, I can't. You can't just do sequels anymore. It can't just be oh a movie comes out and then a sequel to that movie comes out. It's like a movie comes out, sequel to that movie comes out, a related movie comes out, and then slowly you weave those together until you've made eleven billion dollars. Yeah, I was hearing so. Or until other... you've driven your nonsense into the ground, which is what's happening with like X Men. The other day that like Jonah Hill's character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall has his own movie. Like, there's like a. Judd Apatow verse that is like well, coherent. Like the, the, the view is universe. And that that I think is more a thing where none of the movies directly contradict each other, so it's cool <laughs> for them all to exist in the same universe. Okay, that's that's. <laughs> I don't just think fun. it's like a big trying to tell a big story or make one big overarching point, except that like everybody loves weed. Yeah, I think is the point <laughs> of those movies, right? Yeah, or like how apparently like. Uh, all the Pixar movies are just related through Andy's mom. See, that's nonsense. That's terrible. That that theory doesn't hold any water, and it's never held any water. And okay. I resent you for bringing it up, <laughs> frankly. I think it's uh, worth noting that Ennis's like, debut comic, or something, he wrote it when he was like 19. It got included in a uh, UK uh, compilation of comics. It was called The Troubles. Uh, no, it was called Troubled Souls. It was about the troubles which is the you know the period of conflict in ireland and northern ireland Mm -hmm. um and what little reading i i have done about that conflict is that it's it is political more so than religious and yet but religion is in there but the real yeah the religion is like woven into it in a in a way that's uh 
it defines where people come from and who they are in a way that's not just like what's your belief system let's talk right, about it yeah and and ennis is an atheist but i think a, a lot of his work deals with religion so there's preacher um there's trouble troubled souls which is his debut i think there's a follow-up to that called for a few troubles more <laughs> that's a great name <laughs> nice there's one called true faith and yeah he spends a lot of time like interfacing with these ideas sure um, even though he doesn't necessarily believe in anything himself, I think it's more a pro- like a byproduct of his upbringing than anything. Yes. Um, and Dylan, I don't know as much about. He is also a, you know, he's the comic book artist, does the work on Preacher, and as you said, a couple other things. He's worked on Punisher with Ennis. Uh, I found that he did some Doctor Who comic work, and that just like reminded me of the the fact that any if i can think of a thing that i've consumed through like tv or film there are like 10 comics i don't know about i was just gonna say like if you know somebody who worked on anything creative in the last 30 years they probably have doctor who somewhere oh (laughs) that's another (laughs) in their filmography that's the other side of that coin yeah Mm. um but yeah, they've been working together for a while, and Preacher ran 95 to 2000. Right. One of the reasons that... It's been recommended to us before, but one of the reasons I wanted to tackle it now is that it just premiered on AMC as the, like, we should probably wrap up The Walking Dead sometime, yeah, maybe. Right. <laughs> so let's make a TV show. And it's been in development hell as a film for a long time. Right, yeah. So this was the, it's like the No Wintered Sun or whatever it was called to Walking Dead's <laughs> Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. Or it's the Halt a, and Catch Fire to to uh, Better to Call Saul. Yeah, to yeah. yeah. It's, I think I could see it having legs. I'm just kind of fascinated by the fact that AMC has gone back to the comic well when they're, ch- like, they're moved, they're, their television channel is called American Movie Classics. I mean, That's, the channel that you're called has nothing to do with the kind of programming that you present to people anymore. Why are you video, saying back to the comic well? Did AMC like spend a lot of time in the comic well before? Well, Walking Dead. I guess. It's like their thing now. Yeah. No. That makes them so I don't, much I, money. I don't watch or want to watch Walking Dead, so it's, I don't care. It's I, I and I I know that like no one on your TV podcast watches it. And it's kind of fascinating to me that it's just a thing that you look at and go, Yep, that's a thing that people watch. Yep. It seems like I've been in here in my office doing stuff with the door closed and I hear Susanna yelling at the TV <laughs> because of things that are happening on Walking Dead. She is way more willing to like put up with a show that she doesn't like anymore than I am. Ah, uh, fair enough. That's mm-hmm. fair. Uh, so let's so books. Let's talk about this book a little bit. Let's talk about books, baby. So, do you know anything about the setup of this particular a graphic novel? I know that it's about so. It's all right. Here's as I understand it, like an angel and a devil bone down on each other and they yeah have a baby sure and that baby is preacher and when the angel and the devil clown with each other like god is just out he's like i don't i don't need this i'm out i'm going on vacation and he leaves heaven yeah and that's, that's basically what i know that's okay so that seems to be the basic bat you, you got mostly right like mm-hmm. i think you get like a b plus on that pop quiz you might you can want, do better seem you can. <laughs> uh so the book opens with three folks at a diner in texas and we've got uh jesse custer our titular preacher we've got a man named cassidy and we've got who always wears sunglasses he does and we've got tulip o'hare who is a lady that's her a name, fine name her name is tulip tulip o'hare <laughs> it's cool uh Cass- here are their defining characteristics as you need them. Jesse is the preacher who wears preacher clothes. Uh, Cassidy is an Irish guy who wears sunglasses. And Tulip is a woman who used to date Jesse. That's what you've got. Why so- are they all chilling together? So 
the book then does one of the many flashbacks that it that it will do throughout these two uh, volumes, and you find out that Jesse was a he was an actual preacher at an actual church in Anvil, Texas, and somewhere along the line, a being of pure light came down from heaven and flew into him. Mm-hmm. And he looked he, uh, like the artwork makes it look like he is uh, Nick Cage being electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't look like Nick Cage before he got electrocuted or after. But pu- do just... you think that's how Nick Cage got to look the way that he does? Is he used to be somebody else who got electrocuted? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That looks like some full-on Wicker Man. Wow. It's pretty stupendous. I took a couple of pictures. I'll tr- I'll try to tweet them out during the week. Um, yeah, that could be how how he was supposed to look. Um, and this thing that flew into him is what you was what you said came down from heaven. So it's called Genesis, and it is the offspring. Sega. Yeah. God dang it. Uh, It is the offspring of an angel and a demon, specifically an angel of the order of the Seraphi or the Seraphim. The Seraphim is... is They don't use... Yeah, yeah, they don't use the M in the book, so I wasn't sure if it should be like Seraphi. The Seraphs. Uh, And they're like big golden dudes with wings, and there's a pretty great panel of one of them boning down with a like totally... Uh, red-horned lady. Right. And the implication is that they created this thing, Genesis. Uh, God has actually been gone for some time. And you find that out a little bit later, that God, like 2,000 years ago, God was like, I'm out. Good luck, everyone. I feel like that would explain a lot of stuff. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> is if God just decided, you know what? I'm in over my head. I need a break. Uh-huh. I'll be back. Good luck with everything. Don't worry about it. Don't try to ruin it too bad while I'm gone. But I just got to go see to some stuff over here. Mm -hmm. I got property in Florida I got to take care of. Bye. (laughs) Uh, And the the trick is, is that at this point in the book, very early in the book, they don't really know all of this stuff. Uh, After the initial diner scene where you get that these characters are together, that they don't quite know how everyone got to where they are. There's a jump cut to what I presume is heaven. It sort of looks like Cloud City Bespin from mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back, the best Star Wars movie. And that's where you learn about Genesis. And there's like one of the Seraphim angels is holding one without a head because Genesis killed it. And there's a bunch of dudes who are the Adelphi. They are guys with white mohawks who wear mumus. Mm-hmm. They are the lesser class of angels, which, I, mm-hmm. you know, that seems like what you would make them wear. They can't be like rocking wing bearing angels. <laughs> and so I'm just try- I'm trying to like I heard you pause for a goof and I just didn't have one to put in there. And I hope that's OK. <laughs> I was going to make an ooh heaven is a place on earth joke, but I didn't know any of the lyrics other than <laughs> ooh heaven is a place on earth. Sometimes I can't tell if you're like looking at the wall in hopes that inspiration will strike or if you're looking at something you've Googled to try and work in song lyrics for Yeah, a no, it's like a 50-50 chance. <laughs> <laughs> this time I didn't have it. Uh, okay. I apologize for that. No, that's I, okay. I guess I wanted to ask, like in terms of story structure, mm-hmm. why it's so common to start like in medias race and then go back to a flashback instead of just starting at the beginning, even though that's effectively how you're telling the story anyway. Do you mean in like all stories ever or? Well, no, like there, there are a lot, like I'm thinking of like, there's this, um, I think like kill bill is maybe a good example. Mm, That's a great, that's a great example. Um, there are a lot of stories where you start like in the middle of something and then you go back to discover why the thing is happening and then you end up jumping back and forth forever until finally all the pieces fall into place and whatever. But why, like, why, why do people do that instead of just telling a linear story? Well, interesting that we're talking about AMC because I think this is actually a trope that 
one of our favorite television shows, Breaking Bad, uses to great effect. And for Preacher, the rules of the universe are fuzzy to both the characters and the audience. Okay. So by introducing some of these characters who only sort of understand what's going on before you actually explain what's already happened, you create the same level of, wait, what does that mean? Or, wait, how how does that work in that the characters share and you give that to the audience. Like, you give that to the reader. Um, okay. The reader's trying to figure it out at the same pace as some of the characters. Okay. I mean, to to be clear, like you you mentioned Breaking Bad, but I think I think Breaking Bad, I mean, it makes use of flashbacks certainly, but it's like smaller scenes interspersed over a long period of time. And I'm talking mostly about stories that like right from the get-go are using flashbacks as like a key storytelling mm. mechanism. It's like the, it's like the classic trope I guess would be okay, start a book I guess the secret history is an example of a book that we read. Sure. That's like start with the main action and then jump back to where the things that made the main action happen started to happen and then tell the story from there. Well, there's a tragic element to that. That's not that's not part of what this is doing. But there's a there's both a tragic and mystery element to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is like to me goes back to stuff like Romeo and Juliet, which is hey, these kids ain't gonna make it. Two hours from now, these kids are dead. Watch this play. The first half's funny. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm not sure where that, why that is so effective. I mean, maybe it's partly because we want, you know, we we want to know why, and part of it's because of that. You know, when you're rewatching a movie or a show or something, mm-hmm. and something really tragic is gonna happen, and you're like, well, maybe this time. Well, maybe yeah. this time it won't happen this way. And and if you know what's going to happen, you can better digest the reasons why it does and like look for all the reasons that prevented it, like all the things that could have been done instead. When yeah, it's okay. just a surprise and you don't know what's going to happen next, uh th- that's just like shock for shock value. And that happens all the phew, that phew, people get blown up in this book all the time for surprise's <laughs> sake. Um, so I, I'd say that there are things in this book that they tease in, in this series. And it's, it's one of the things that I don't, you asked me early on, like, tell me about this book that you partially read. And I, there are parts of this story that I am eager, that I would be eager to go and read the rest of. And there's some things about the world and the vibe that I really don't need a lot more of. Uh, which tell we'll get to that. as we go. Yeah, yeah tell, tell, I guess tell me about things in the order that you are ready to tell me about them. But yes, one of the hallmarks of this series is it's like absurd Tarantino esque. Glad that you brought up Kill Bill violence. Mm-hmm. So one of the first examples of this is you know we hear about Genesis, we hear about what happened, a little bit about what happened to Custer. And meanwhile, Custer doesn't know why Tulip and Cassidy have gotten together. And turns out that Tulip, after Custer left her five years ago, um, needed to pay some bills and turned to, like, being a hitman. I don't know how that leap happened. That works. It's, you know, it's a thing you do to pay some bills. You know, you just you kill your way through college. <laughs> it's a thing that people do all the time. What are you talking about? And... She tries to, on her first hit, she, like, misses and shoots a dude's jaw off. Like, and that... Did that, like, make a new member of the rogues gallery? Or did they, (laughs) did she, like, fix her thing and actually kill them? No, she ended up running away and, like, Cassidy was driving a car. She hopped in his car and then now they are, like, they're on the road together because he's given her a lift to Mm -hmm. keep her safe, I guess. Uh, but that, oh man, she's just carrying a gun around. I don't think that the the ratio of body part to bullet size might be a little off in the Preacher universe. <laughs> Maybe they're that, just really big bullets. <laughs> it's possible. Um, so, uh, and this happens not just on Earth, but in heaven. So the Adelphi that I mentioned earlier, the Moo Moo people, their job is to catch Genesis 
before it can wreak havoc. It's as powerful as God or whatever the Satan figure is. I don't know if they call it Satan specifically mm-hmm. um, because it was born of both. And it they fear that in a mortal body it will become like way too powerful, et cetera, et cetera. So they wake this thing called the Saint of Killers, which Makes is... sense. Sounds, yep. sounds good. And the Saint of Killers is like a 19th century cowboy that lives in a coffin under a hill in heaven. Mm-hmm. And he it's a cave of bones, and they wake him up, and the first thing he does is shoot an angel in the face, and the back of his head flies off. But does it, like, kill the angel? Can you oh, kill yeah. an angel with a gun? Was it, like, a gun that could kill an angel? It's a, it's, oh, yeah, it's a heaven gun. It's magic. And that is a, that's a, that's a pretty good gun. Pretty it's good. It's a pretty good gun. Pretty good gun. But there are multiple panels where you just see that this guy doesn't have half of a head. Sure. So, gotcha. like, anybody who gets shot with something, there's, like, in the artwork, in Dylan's artwork, it's almost as if you, like... You know in car- in cartoons when people like bite a piece of meat and it kind of gets like ripped like paper. I guess. It kind of like tears away. Like bullets yeah. don't bo- bullets don't cause holes. They just like rip things off of people in this mm-hmm. book. That's it's kind of gross. I guess that I mean so here's the thing with with Ennis is he is a big fan of like weaponry and of like world war two stuff in particular. Sure. Um, so he's talking, this is the same interview in sci-fi now that I read earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about war comics that he grew up on and becoming interested in military history. And he's then, then he talks about his appreciation for the hardware, uh, the particular level of development that aircraft tanks, ships and firearms had reached at the time uh, take the planes, for example, the low-wing monoplane single-seat fighter, most obviously exemplified by the Spitfire. Before that, you had biplanes, which are kind of fun, but boxy and fussy-looking with all those extra wires and wings. And he goes on in a way that like, definitely you know that he knows what <laughs> weapons are. And so, I mean, I, the artist, um, Dylan. Dylan, yeah, he, he's obviously going to have a say in the way that things look. But I feel like Ennis would would have had like a specific kind of weapon in mind when he had this angel's face get blown off. <laughs> well, and they remark on how some of the guns are used. Like at one point, Tulip ends up with a gun from another cop and like remarks on how kind of crappy it is. And when the saint of killers, which I this was a ridiculous phrase in the world, uh, couldn't be more 90s if you ask me. Um, <laughs> Like when he is firing his gun, the like 12 cops that he blows up in an instant, like the one who survives remarks that he never had to reload it. And it's like a six shooter and he's just like blowing people apart. So there is there's these classic uh, visuals that you see. And then some of the characters remark on how they are otherworldly. So the Saint of Killers has been sent to Earth to track down. Genesis vis-a-vis Jesse Custer. Um, the thing that I mentioned earlier when Genesis in like not I almost said impregnated him. That's not correct. Nope. When uh Genesis basically possessed him or became part of him, it blew up his entire church and like two hundred people died. So the FBI is a little concerned about what's going on. Okay. The cops are a little concerned about what's going on. Just a little. Just want to know what's up. Just a little bit. And uh, Sheriff Root, this is all in the first of the of the four books in these two volumes. It's each each volume is kind of divided into two discrete like storylines. Um, this guy's Sheriff Root. He is at the heart of what I think is a little like much about the book. So I'll get into this right now. The there are liberal uses of racial slurs and homophobic slurs in this book, and I'm not. Now is that being done to like establish a mood or like characterization, or do you think it kind of, or do you think it's intended to be that way and it kind of crosses a line or like where are where do you come down on it? I think it's that. I think it's intended to evoke a sense of style and place that maybe just goes too far. I feel and I feel like that's 
not uncommon in stuff from like the late nineties and early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, um, uh, and, and you've watched like some of it, but not all of it. I like the venture brothers, which is yeah, a cartoon yeah. that's been on for like a super long time. And it's very, very comic booky. But if you go back and watch the early seasons now, which came out in like 2003, 2004, it's all like people calling other people like gay and stuff like as an <laughs> uh-huh. insult. Uh huh. And I think it's being done to establish that there are like certain kinds of characters with certain kinds of speech patterns, but it also hasn't aged super well. No. And is that does that is that what it feels like is going on here? It feels a little bit, and it it feels like if it were being written now, it would be balanced out by either a better representation of that particular group of people, or it would be tempered with something else. And it's it's weird because towards like there's some talk about uh women and whether or not like women are just uh it gets into the like classic comic book trope of like women needing to be saved. And mm-hmm. Tulip's actually a pretty strong character, all things considered, and works her way out of several jams on her own. But there's a whole passage where after some a series of crazy episodes custer and tulip are talking and he says i know you're as smart as me and as capable am i equal at just about everything i know you're empowered or whatever the hell you call it but i swear i even think of a single hair on your head getting harmed and all that goes right out the window and i censored like three or four curses that are just in there because people curse throughout this entire book right and and then they talk about how like when he was kidnapped by his crazy grandma, that's a whole volume. He spent a lot of time reading the library and like, quote, found feminist theory under F. Believe it or not, have me quite a time. And it's like, what? I guess by name checking the concept and at least critiquing yourself for a page. You're, you're trying like, to excuse a bunch of other stuff that's happening in your book. Yeah, and he doesn't do, and Ennis doesn't do that for some of the other slurs that get tossed around. One of the, the thing about like uh a character who is portrayed to be a jerk and portrayed to be racist dropping the n-word like that's fine. It, it's not fine necessarily, but it's it's a trope. It's like that, it's what you're doing, I guess. Yeah. But uh dropping a a lot more homophobic slurs than I have read in anything in a long time. <laughs> and two characters who express great displeasure at engaging in homosexual activity. So like one is a closeted cop who's like a super cop. He's His name is Bridges and he's partnered with Tool who's the unluckiest cop in the world and Tool sucks at being a cop and Bridges is the best. Mm-hmm. And they're driving down the street and Bridges just starts complaining about gay people. And then wouldn't you know, he is super closeted into BDSM and he ends up like crying that he thinks he's gay. And it's it. And this is all happening against the backdrop where preacher has the power to command people with the word of God and is trying to track down God so he can command God to come back and like take care of the world. And meanwhile, you have a cop who's like into kinky sex stuff and having, I I guess maybe having an understandable identity crisis, but in the context of the rest of the book feels a little much. Yeah, I'm, that's that's an interesting question, right? Is, Is when you're constructing a work of fiction and you want to use like the N word or any other kinds of slurs or anything to establish a mood or like what kind of character a character is you you run a risk of seeming like you are endorsing those those views a little yes bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's, it's always it's always a little dodgy to to do that it, and, yes. and i guess it can be useful as shorthand but it can also feel lazy too which i think is another good reason why a lot of writers just like eschew that particular kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't make sense that every single like bad guy in whatever story it is that you're writing is going to know all the quote-unquote politically correct terms for everything but C- correct but yeah. <laughs> i also don't know that you need 
you're like, so in the final volume, there is an organization that's introduced called the Grail. And their job is to protect the bloodline of Jesus, who didn't die on the cross, Andrew. Surprise, surprise. He faked his death, had some kids, and then got hit by like a a carriage or something. Does that not kind of mess with the whole Jesus narrative? Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, but they are protecting Jesus's bloodline so that when the apocalypse does come, there's a Messiah that they can put forward and people will rally around them as opposed to the like terrible political leaders that will end up causing the apocalypse in the first place. Can't imagine in an election year why you might think about yeah, stuff no like that. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um and there, there's like some people within the Grail that think Preacher would make a really good replacement Messiah, especially because his superpower is literally commanding people to do things. Um, so he can like he can say something to you, and if you can hear him, you will do it. Like one guy ends up counting millions of grains of sand. One guy ends up eating a gun. Literally. Just like those people eat planes, the people with pica. Yeah, he says, like, uh, eat it, and then the guy just starts gnawing on a gun, and then you just leave, that character's just gone. <laughs> like, he, that's the end of that guy. Cool. <laughs> there's all, there's some stuff like that. Um, but the guy in charge of the grail, Herr Star, some German man, he has a proclivity for prostitutes. And at one point, he hi- he tells his subordinate to go get him a prostitute. Cool, 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 I guess. It's fine. And dude, like, accidentally hires this British guy who calls himself a sexual investigator, who at one point in the story says the phrase, it's bugger in time, Andrew. <laughs> and proceeds to... Do you, th- do you think he wears the those shirts that say FBI, like, female body inspector on them? Female, like fine butt inspector i bet is what it says and he proceeds to uh violate hairstar in an alleyway and then like it's sort of used as comic relief for the rest of that story where like airstar just yeah he just kind of keeps making one off like well you're pretty bad at your job like that time that you had a guy like take me in an alley and it's really not cool yeah that's not great that's not amazing and like again this is happening while another story that i'm fairly interested in is going on Mm -hmm. and i know like i we've gotten a field from it because there's this other stuff happening but yeah that was kind of my reaction reading a lot of the book it's like this is perhaps a bit much (laughs) perhaps your so the violence is i think borders on camp you know it borders on not camp but at times so violent as to elicit like a laugh right i think it's trying to Mm -hmm. and the sex stuff similarly i feel like it just it gets away with what the 90s can get away with and does not it is not aware of the 20 teens at all yeah the the 90s are it's it's a weird time because we're like aware dimly like it's that the era of the seinfeld like not that there's anything wrong with that yeah thing. okay okay and yes yeah like i don't know that's that's maybe the best touchstone where people are like yeah, this is happening, and I'm it's I am actually totally cool with it, but I'm also like not entirely comfortable with it because of society. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and then you get into that like, but let me be a little uncomfortable with it. Like, no, just stop. Just be comfortable <laughs> with everyone. That's how we make the world a better place. Everyone be comfortable with everyone. Everybody just be cool. Everyone be cool. just be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Everybody be cool. So, if I guess just, just be cool. <laughs> what did I just say? Uh, I guess what I want to say else about the plot that I read in this in these four <laughs> these four arcs of preacher because that's really what it is, and I kind of wanted to get a taste for that. Is that the first one sets up 
the overarching conflict. Yo, heaven wants to kill the thing that's in Preacher. Preacher wants to kill God. God isn't around. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. The next one is, A, they go to New York. They look up this reporter who's into UFOs and other supernatural stuff. And Cassidy leads them to that guy, and they get involved with this serial killer case. Turns out it's the reporter. Got me. Got you. The third volume explains a bit more about Custer Preacher's uh, background, that his parents met when his dad came back from Vietnam and his mom spit on him and was like, you're evil. And and later she's like, I don't know if I really feel that. And her family is crazy and her evil grandma or whatever uh, thinks that women are just for having babies and that men are for preaching the word of the Lord. So that sounds basically right. Like I don't have a like that's right. Right. Yeah. That's basically it. Mm -hmm. No one else should do anything. But um, so they end up like their whole family ends up getting kidnapped by evil grandma in Anvil, (laughs) Texas. Both of Preacher's parents get killed. He tries to run away, which is where he meets Tulip. Then they find him, so he has to go back and leave Tulip for five years. And then they get kidnapped again. And Tulip dies? And God shows up briefly? They found him. He's back. Brings her back to life. And with the the instruction, hey, yo, tell Custer that, like, just trust me. And she, she's rightfully like, I don't think that works, God. Could you not? Hey, God. Hey, all-powerful God. Could you not just like tell him that your, yourself? She you says to, that. Do you have to use me for this? Is this super necessary? And then he just kind of leaves. Um, and they burn that place down. No wonder people don't like God. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, and then the last one is this kind of sexual escapade where there's a character named Jesus Desaad, you know, like the Marquis. Jesus or Jesus? Um, I think it's Jesus. He is a very pale white man. So probably Jesus. There's a bunch of jokes about people like having sex with animals and like gerbils and stuff like at his crazy parties and the whole climactic, no pun intended, scene at the end of that volume <laughs> is this like giant uh, orgy party that he's throwing where everyone's doing terrible stuff because like they're super rich and they need to blow off some steam. And Preacher has to go in to stop some people and the people trying to stop Preacher go in to stop some people. A bunch of people die. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, um, blah. A lot of people die. Whatever whatever but that's the that's another section of the book where the the sex stuff is so outlandish that i have to believe it's trying to be played for comedy but it sort of just feels a little judgy and a little awkward and a little juvenile explain to me some of the acts that we're talking about pretty simple stuff there is a dude doing drugs off of someone's butt while Boring. another while another man chases a concerned looking gerbil with some masking tape still boring i am still bored earlier in this volume uh jesus desad parked a bike in a dude's butt like just wait like a like a fantastic voyage sort of Thing where he like made the bike really tiny and then put it inside him to like fix his diseases no or... like he rode into where the meeting was and and like was riding a bike around his giant mansion and his manservant was like oh yeah steve you need to he needs to park his bike so then steve like drops trowel and just bends down the ground and he pikes he parks his bike in his butt <sighs> okay i don't i'm not i don't 100 percent know how to respond to that yep there's like People... Or like any percent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, you know, people wearing animal outfits and people wearing ball gags and some woman propositions tulip with a cucumber and then literally says, where do you get off brandishing cucumbers at total strangers? It's, you know, like right here. Standard, standard <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah stuff. Great. 
I guess I'm not sure what this book is trying to say. And maybe you don't know either because you didn't read the whole thing. But I, I was trying to get a sense of what is going on here. And I think... Is it mostly about like subverting the genre at this point? Because that is a lot of what the 90s were. This run of comics, like post Watchmen, getting into non superhero well, comics, like like Watchmen, maybe even kicked it off. But like this and Watchmen and like Sandman, I guess self consciously pushing the boundaries of what the medium could do, precisely in response to, like I, I guess perceived boringness or unwillingness to like go beyond the boundaries of like the superhero stuff from the from the fifties and sixties. Sure, I I don't know enough about comics to talk about this authoritatively. I just want yeah, to throw that out there. No, and I I think one of the things that we will invariably uh, leave a little by the wayside is how Dylan's work is or is not important to like the rest of comics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of art style, but the crucial faith questions in this book it's like interesting and you've read one or two books by Gaiman Neil Gaiman that do this right where it's like God is a literal thing that we wrestle with and deal with in a way that actual faith in religion um does not Mm -hmm. for most for most people Mm -hmm. um they make God a lot more fallible than I think that he is often portrayed as being yeah, and, and in a way that is meant to, I think, uh, either critique or at least uh, point out some things that the author, some issues or questions that the author might have about faith and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, the section of Preacher's backstory, where he is you know, being basically imprisoned by his family and forced to become a preacher even though he doesn't believe in it one of the things that ends up happening to him multiple times is he gets put in a coffin and sent to the bottom of a river where he's just supposed Sleep to with the fishes well but they're not killing him they send him down with a breathing tube but like he just has to be there for a while hang out with the fishes yeah and his story is that he does in that moment have some element of conversion or at least understanding of what's going on. He says, that's what God's there for. When you're beaten, when you have an ounce of fight left in you, when you just can't hack it by yourself anymore, you turn to Jesus or you stick a gun in your mouth. Cool. I, okay, those are the only two choices. Those are the that's only fine. two good, choices. Good, 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 good. And, and again, kind of with some of the things, some of the more taboo things or a little more unsavory elements of the book that we were talking about earlier. I think Ennis is, I don't think it's, it's, he's walking that fine line between endorsing that worldview and just exploring that worldview. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to, to say that like some of the things that preacher is saying or, or et cetera, is like representative of Ennis and, and anything like that. I don't know that that's not necessarily true. But it, yeah, it's 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 violent to the point of excess. It's oddly concerned with like he Gamora levels of sex um, to the point of grossness at times. And I kind of guess I kind of want to know what happens when Preacher gets to God and like tells him to do something. But I don't know how it's going to shake out. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not sure how to ask you about the experience of reading this because I'm not sure how you're supposed to be engaging with it. it. I guess from how you're describing it, it sounds like a lot of it's supposed to be shock value for shock value's sake, but surely that is not like all of what is going on. And I'm having read Sandman. Mm. I kind of wish we knew what the end game was like, because I think that that like for in, in the early books, it is more a series of interesting stories that, concern the same characters and then it gets plot heavier Mm -hmm. in the latter Mm -hmm. parts and i'm i guess i mean maybe some of our listeners can can clue us in here but i do wish i knew like whether these characters evolved at all and maybe some of the concerns that we're bringing up now are addressed at all i I don't know do i can tell you kind of how this 
arc wraps up if you want. I mean, you, you can if you want, but like, did you read a summary of it? Well, I just kind of wanted to read what happened at the very end of the story. Okay. To convert to confirm my own suspicions. Okay. So I suppose so we don't we haven't been doing spoiler alerts for a while, but here's one. Yo, they kill God. Whoops. <laughs> and the guy they used that they planned to use to kill Custer ends up killing God. And then Custer and Tulip get to be happy. Because God is dead. Yeah. Also, did I mention that Cassidy was a vampire? I forgot to mention that. Part. You didn't mention that. No, that seems like a pretty big like. <laughs> does it not factor into the story at all, though? He bites like, a why, guy. How the- would you be able to ignore that and not have it affect our discussion of what happens? It it doesn't. It ha- It's it's part of the it's part of the blow by blow of the books, but it's not. It I don't know. It's there. It's a thing that happens. Okay. If you want to know more about the show <laughs> or if you want to talk to us directly, you can visit our Twitter page at twitter.com slash overdue pod, or you can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash overdue pod. Uh, we have an email address that is overdue podcast, or is it just overdue pod at gmail.com? It's the, it's the, over, it's the shorter one. Yeah. Overdue pod at gmail.com. I've just forgotten. And then, uh, our internet website is at overduepodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Craig, did you have a list of people who have contacted us via social media over the last week or so? Heck yeah, I do. Ellen, Michael, Rob, Sarah, Jessica, Philip, Catherine, Elizabeth, Molly, Rob, who according to Twitter may or may not be a wolf, Priscilla, Ariel, Catherine, Haley, June, Tegan Goes Vegan, Holly, Tessa, Lucas, Emmett, Catherine, Kristen, Rachel, Sean, Melissa, M- Melanie, Maria, Bailey, Alyssa, Freya, Christina, Mr. J, Katie, and Graham. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah, it's really great to hear from you, and we look forward to hearing from more of you throughout this this coming week. Um, Yeah, like I said, our internet (laughs) website is overduepodcast.com. Up there we have links to iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and RSS, which you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out. That normally happens every Monday, but um, once a month about, mm-hmm. thereabouts, uh, we release a bonus episode. If you want to get early access to that, you can support our Patreon project. That's at patreon.com. It's a way to financially support the show in like an ongoing way. Um, we posted our bonus episode for May a couple days ago. Like yeah. decidedly not in May, but yeah. But you'll get you'll get all your you'll get your pound of flesh. You'll get all your bonus episodes. Don't you worry about it. Well, and we're also talking about this because for June we are going to do like a Q and A episode. Some of you have been writing in questions or tweeting them at us, and we've kind of been stockpiling some of the just questions we've been getting for a while now. Uh, so that's our goal for June, and that'll help us get back on schedule with those bonus episodes. I think. We'll we'll let you know when that's dropping. Yeah, I think it's going to be not this coming week or the week after, but maybe the week after that. So like the week of, was it, June 20th? Yeah, that sounds like a we day. We might try to find a time like between 7 and 8 Eastern where we can just hang out and you guys can hop on Google Hangouts with us or whatever and talk to us and ask us questions and just like watch us record a thing which you may or not may or not may or may not be interested in yeah uh yeah but we'll we'll share more details with that as it gets a little bit closer um up on our website we also have amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read you can click those and buy the books and give us a cut of that links to headgum our podcast network spreaker our podcast host and we also have a couple of the books that we are going to read in the coming weeks. My goal for next week is to tackle Jane Eyre by uh, by Charlotte Bronte. Is that right? the correct Bronte? Is that the name? You just look. Oh, it is, boy. It's the C one. I just can't. <laughs> Charlotte is the name, right? By Charlotte Bronte. You can edit that out to make me seem smarter. I could only I could only think of Currer Bell because that's the name. That's like how she signs it. Oh, is, okay. When she's t- when she's writing the forward. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was less that you forgot and more that you were hip to a reference. 
It was a little both, like to be entirely <laughs> honest. Um, anything else? Anything else going on? No, that's it. Thanks everybody um, for listening. It's a fun show to do. We like that you guys listen to it. Yeah, uh, we just they the Philadelphia Podcast Festival just opened up registration, and we sent ours in. So hopefully we'll be doing that. Do we do we know like when ish that is yet? It'll be late August. Okay, so assuming assuming we're part of it, it'll be late August. Yeah, so you should probably go see it anyway, even if we're not part of it. Yeah, but but if we are, especially if we are part of it, you should go see it, and us specifically. We'll share more details on that when we have them to share. (laughs) Um, All right, guys, this has been quite enough outro, I think. Thank you for listening, and until next Monday, try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast. God, it smells so bad. Don't be stereotypically male in here, please. Uh, we spend so much time fighting that. Yeah, um, but everybody farts. The gas we pass. Nope, 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 nope. Though I did, I did pitch a third book in that series called Every- "Most People Are Horny for Something." <laughs> <laughs> I like the medium qualifiers, most and well, something. because you can't say everyone's horny for something because some people are asexual and whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people are horny for something. Um, Did you have an open, or is that that's not our open? No, we that's that's that. definitely a hundred percent, definitely not our open. Um,